morning. My name is Adam, and I'm uh, really glad to be here. I'm the lead pastor of Aletheia Church in Boston, and uh, man, it is super fun to be in a city that rhymes with mine. Those are very few in the world, so um, <clears throat> it's taking some of you to get that Boston Austin. That's right. Okay, good. That's what we call a time release joke. Just kind of takes a minute to make its way through. Um, uh, I bid you greetings from the great, uh, great Northeast and from my family. Um, I am the, uh, the, the happy husband of hope and the proud owner of some humans. I think we have some picture of the humans that, yes, these are my humans um, uh, that I have made. I didn't make the one on the top right. Uh, that's my wife. You should never, <laughs> never make your wife. Um, um, except in like West Virginia. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Oh, hey. Uh, <clears throat> I say that only so you'll know how the rest of our time together is going to be. Um, <laughs> these are my kids. Uh, on the bottom left is my oldest daughter, Alana. She's amazing. She's my clone in a, in a young girl body, and so she's, she's fantastic and fun to be around. Uh, her younger sister, Nora, is my nature-loving, piano-playing um, warrior princess. And then my son on the bottom right, Cole, is my, uh, he's my warrior poet. He's my taekwondo-fighting, board-breaking artist. And then uh, Wyatt, Wyatt is a sleeper agent for Al-Qaeda. Um, <laughs> yeah, Wyatt is, um, his, his initials, uh, spell the word wham, which ironically is the sound he makes most frequently. Um, jumping off things, bleeding constantly for reasons we don't know why, you know, and, um, and he's hilarious. And so uh, it's like God's little joke at the end of the whole child making thing. Um, he's just fantastic though. Um, so yes, I, I, I miss them. I've been away from them for about 10 days. This is a long, long trip for me. Uh, and so um, they, they say hello and, um, and yeah, mi- missing actually, longing. That's kind of what we're going to talk about today. The, the gap between promise and fulfillment, between wanting and having. You've been in a teaching series in the book of Genesis, uh, which I, I love the book of Genesis. Um, I, 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 it is one of the most important um, places to just wander around because so much of the rest of the story of the Bible springs from this book. And if you don't understand the shape and scope of the book of Genesis, the rest of the Bible won't make a whole lot of sense to you. And so up to this point, you've, you've learned that, that Genesis, the, the first 11 chapters are really about how God makes the world and how it's great. And then sin just begins to pull at the strings, doesn't it? From Genesis 3 on to about Genesis 11, it's just this downward spiral of pain and brokenness and and complication and complexity and shattered people shattering other people. But then in Genesis 12, which I believe you you studied last week, we, we meet a man named Abraham. God comes to this man and makes a covenant with him. Now, that, that's, that's startling and stunning because, because he's not even in the right neck of the woods. He's, Abraham's from a town called Ur, which is like, you know, like a thousand mile walk from the promised land. He's in his late 60s, ready to pull down on his retirement account. He, he, he's a pagan, which, you know, we usually want pastors to start off as Christians, um, <laughs> right? We know from archaeology, he probably worshipped a moon goddess named Sin, which I find ironic. And God comes to this man, and he says, come follow me to a land I'll show you. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And for Abraham's part, he says, 
okay. And then he goes. And he takes this knuckle-headed nephew with him. We'll come to him later. And he goes, and uh, as, as he journeys toward the promised land, we pick up the story today in chapter 15 of this book. So let's read it, and I'll pray, and then we'll get to work. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your son, I'm sorry, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him, as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he says, Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And God said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgments on the nation they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. And as for you, you shall go down to your fathers in peace and shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, help us today to see in the text of Scripture, Lord, how your promises work. Father, some of us here, we're in right relationship with you, and, and, and we follow you, and we even know the story, and So, Lord, inspire us toward more faithful obedience. Others here don't yet know you. Maybe they are wandering back toward you, or perhaps you are touching them now. So, Lord, the thousand things that you do when we gather in all of our hearts, would you now do by the Holy Spirit and help us, God, by the preaching of Holy Scripture, to be made to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I showed you that picture of my my family, and and I I do, I miss them. uh, it, it, as I said, it, it, it's been a while, and, and, and I know I'm going to see them. I, I've got this plane ticket, which is like a promissory note, based on my previous travels. It's not a very good promissory note, but <clears throat> it's like a promissory note that, that, that tonight, around midnight, I'm going to wander into my house, and I'm going to open the door to my kids' bedrooms, and they're going to be asleep, but I'm going to give them a, a kiss anyway. 
And my wife will probably be passed out on the couch with her dog next to her because, whoa, she's been single mom in it with four kids for 10 days. Yeah. And the, the moment between the, the possession of the promise and its fulfillment, that moment is marked with pain. Right? The gap between a promise and its fulfillment is, is anticipatory and it's exciting, but it's also painful. Right? And it's like that for, for some of you in, in different ways. Some of you, you've got children that are walking through really hard moments. And you know because of scripture, because of something the spirit has told you and the way your community here has come around you, like the Lord is going to help you and you believe it and you're standing in faith, but you haven't possessed it and so it's painful. All of us right now are caught in a similar moment where in the gospel, in in the scriptures, we've got this promise that God is going to set the world aright. It's not quite aright yet though. You know that, right? You're looking stunned at me. You own... Like you turn on the news and they're like, yeah, everything's fine. Back to you, John. That's not how it goes. <laughs> turn on the news and it's like, oh my gosh, right? And yet we have this promise that one day the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea and the place where God dwells and the place where humans dwell will merge together and become the same place. And that's going to be an amazing time. That's a promise. And you have in Jesus and in his word and in the presence of the Holy Spirit among his people a promissory note guaranteeing, far better than a plane ticket, that you will one day possess it. But you don't yet. And that gap is marked with pain. So there's a promise, even in our pain. And... In our pain, there is a promise. And that's precisely what Abram was dealing with here. Abram had just come back from a, a war, in a, a small war in, in the previous chapter. Uh, his, uh, his nephew had uh, been, a, been an idiot. Some of you have family members like this. If you're thinking, no, I don't, you're that guy. Um, LAUGHTER uh, and he went to go rescue his, his nephew, and he had, to, he had to do battle with all of these kings. And then we meet this mysterious figure called Melchizedek, which I'm not even going to unpack to you. But anyway, it was, it was exhausting. It was an emotionally, physically, financially, every possible way exhausting experience. And he comes back, and into that exhaustion, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, fear not, I am your shield. Do you see why that's such an important thing for God to have said? Hey, I know that this is really hard, but don't worry. Now, our world fakes similar promises. In recent years, we, we just came back, came through something called modernity. And in modernity, it was like, everything's going to be amazing. Tech is getting better. Medicine's getting better. It's all going to get better. We're all getting rich. It's going to be amazing. And it really was an amazing time until suddenly it wasn't. Right? And then we fought a couple of world wars and we're like, oh, it didn't go so great. And so modernity said, it's all getting better. Promise, promise, promise. And then a couple of world wars, and then a little romp through Vietnam, and some bad ideas coming from universities near where I live, sent us in to, to, to a more postmodern angsty pain. It's all going to be really hard. And so the, the, the trick about life is to, get, is to get through the pain. And in, in the church, we echo this all the time. There are churches you could probably drive to around here that will never tell you about pain. 
She's always saying, God wants to bless you, make your life better. He always only ever wants to just make you rich and healthy and prosperous. And the problem with that is that it's not true. It's not, it, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not. God's dispositions toward you is that he's a great dad and loves to bless you, but his will for you might involve a moment of pain. And here's how I know, because that's how he treated his son. So some churches will be like, God only wants to bless, 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 bless you. And then if you don't ever, if you're not ever blessed, then the answer is, well, I guess you didn't trust God enough. Which will then send you spiraling into pain. So you walk into some other church that'll say, man, just God's, God's right here through your pain right now. No, he can't control the world and he, he, we have no idea what he's doing out here and he's probably not that great of a God anyway, but he's right here with you right now. Which is great to know that a completely useless deity is right here with me. Like some sort of weird stalker leaving you notes or something. The biblical God is far more robust, I'm afraid. And not to be contained inside of our small thoughts about him but is to be described by the scriptures here. And here, in this moment, in the book of Genesis, chapter 15, we discover Abraham walking through a series of promises and pain. It, there's a cycle that happens twice. Promise, pain, promise, resolution. And again, promise, pain, promise, resolution. So let me walk you through this and, and show you how this works in the Bible. In, uh, in, in verse 1 of chapter 15, we read uh, that God came to Abram in a vision, and he said, listen, I'm going to be your shield, and your reward shall be very great. That probably did not feel true. Because Abram's just like, I am like 79 and I just had to fight a war. And I am not sure that my AARP insurance covers war. And I'm exhausted and I have a knuckleheaded nephew and I still don't have a kid, but great, you're my shield. That probably didn't feel true. Have you ever been in a moment where God had a promise for you and it didn't feel true? Yeah, yes, of course you have. And if you haven't yet, just wait a minute. Because they don't always feel true, but I'm here to tell you that thing, feelings are not facts. That's a whole sermon series in itself. Feelings are feelings. They're a way of knowing things about yourself, but they're not the way to know everything about everything. Feelings are not facts. But God came. God knew, man, Abraham, he's going to feel like I've abandoned him. So Abraham, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. And Abraham is like, really? Cool. I'm childless. Remember years ago when you said I'd have kids and I haven't yet? Pain. Promise? Pain. And so here's what God says. Look at the stars. God, instead of backing off his promise, he dials his promise over to 11. He's like, oh, oh, you think you're going to have a kid. <laughs> okay. Hey, come here. Son, look at the stars. Pain will always come to fight the promise of God. Pain will always come in your heart to, to challenge you and to accuse the promises of God. Well, this feels like it can never happen. It feels like you'll never have breakthrough. It feels like God has abandoned you. It feels like he's not there. He doesn't care. He's not going to be around. And that feeling is not a fact. Because even in your pain, there's a promise. And in the promises of God, you're going to walk through pain. It just will happen. So promise, pain. And God amps up the promise in verse 5. 
We read here, he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you were able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. What a tender moment. You got to remember, Abram had no Bible, right? He had no Bible. He had no podcast. He had no Christian living section from the Christian bookstore, which is the entirety of the Christian bookstore. (laughs) Go find a book on how to die to yourself. They're very hard to find. And go find a book how to get yourself blessed. Lots of those. And that's kind of what I mean. We've developed a version of Christianity which affirms everything that we want in life and um, is quite quiet when we are made to walk through the things we don't. But there's a promise in the pain. The promises of God don't excuse you from the pain of the world. It, they will, you will surely be able to avoid some pain. If you follow God, you will inflict less pain on yourself because you'll cease being an idiot some well, there are four books in the Bible all about wisdom, and if you do what they say, largely speaking, your life will be better than if you don't. That's why it's called wisdom. <laughs> right? Yes, that fun with English words. Yeah, that's how we know. But wisdom is just that. But you live in a shattered world where God is working a million angles, and he, we don't always see what he's doing or why he's waiting or where he's going. And you know what? We don't get to know. Think of the book of Job. You know what Job never got? The book. He never got it. He was just messed with, and God was like, I'm the Lord. And he was like, yeah. And then that's the end. And then someone wrote it down. He never got the whole bit about, you know, God speaking to the devil and all of that stuff. Like, oh, no. He just got, he got the experience, and he was never explained to. God doesn't owe you an explanation He didn't owe Abraham. But what's crazy is that in his tenderness, God brought Abram into his counsels. And he said, oh, son, look at the stars. Don't be discouraged. Count them if you can. And God, of course, knows the number. And probably thinks it's adorable. (laughs) Much the way, you know, you you with your college degree. Um, I, I I pastor supposedly the smartest people in the world. I can assure you they're not. Um, there's a special kind of dumb you have to be very intelligent to attain to. And don't worry, I'm not, I'm not telling you anything I don't tell them all the time. Um, we'll often use what we don't know about God to excuse ourselves from what we do. Promise, pain. God amps up the promise. And Abram believes him. And we read this very important verse in chapter 15, verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord, and it counted toward him as righteousness. That verse takes four New Testament passages to unpack later. It's a very important verse. But we carry on with the story. Abram trusted God. The word believe just means to trust. To trust. Based on God's relational credit score, we, we trust him. The bank does this with you. If you have a problem, you know, paying your bills, the bank's like, no, we're going to keep our money. We're not going to let you hold it. But if you do tend to pay your bills, they're like, okay, that's called credit, right? Well, God is perfect relational credit. He always does what he says. We just sang it. Who you were is who you are, and who you are, you will be. Yeah, he's totally consistent and trustworthy. And so Abram said, okay, I trust you. Now, we expect that to be the end of the story. And this kind of ends in like a slow fade to black, nice B-flat major chord. Oh, 
that's not what happens at all. That's not what happens at all. God comes back to him with, with more promise. I am the Lord. I brought you from Ur to give you this land to possess. And, and Abram said, but Lord, how do I know? Cycle two we're in now. God gives this promise. I am giving you this land. And Abram's like bloody, sweaty, got a small tent full of people and half his family are crazy. And he's like, this does not feel like possession. This does not feel like ownership. This does not feel like me walking in many promises. And so Abram's like, God, how am I to know? Have you ever asked God that? Have you ever looked in the scripture and gone, God, how am I to know? Like, like really, Lord, really? It just feels very hard to believe sometimes, you know, based on what we see in the news or just kind of the general movement of our culture. Or you live in Austin, which I hear is meant to be kept quite weird. Like, it just feels as though the promises of God aren't true. Or if, if God really is going to be Lord, it feels as though that's not good news. And so pain. How am I to know? How am I to know? Believing is a way of knowing. Did you know that? There are two ways to approach belief. One says, I will never believe God until I know, until I understand him, which is hilarious. Because think about it. If he's God, he's at least a bit more complex than you. I I have my five-year-old son, Wyatt, and uh, I, I was working on my taxes before I left. Super fun. And, uh, and I looked at my son and I thought, you know, in English, I could explain to him why I'm carrying deductions over. And he would look at me and go, and then he'd walk away. He wouldn't get it. Similarly, if I have a hard time explaining my taxes to my youngest son, why do you think for an instant, if God explained his will and workings in the world, you would get it for a moment? You barely understand your spouse. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I've been married. I've known my wife since we were 15, okay? I've I've spent more of my life with her than without her. We literally grew up together. I was married at 20, and we've been married for quite a while now. And she still surprises me. I probably surprise her less. I'm, I'm learning about her. I don't fully know her. There's a way of knowing that says, I will never trust God until I know what he's gonna do. That's called cynicism. Cynicism is a destructive, acidic, safe, small view of the world. It's very, it's very safe because if you're a cynic, you never really have to trust anyone. It's very small because you'll never know anyone. And they'll never really know you. And you'll certainly never know God. You must guard your heart against cynicism, my friends. There is a promise even in the pain. And the pain will tempt you toward cynicism where you go, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to take my life plan and I'm going to go home. I'm going to walk away from God. And God is extremely patient and very secure. And so he'll let you. Okay, wander around. And then you'll find that he's still there waiting for you. And you come back to him and he's not like, told you so. That's not how he is. He's like, I'm so glad you're back. Let's carry on. Promise. Pain. How will I know? You know, not on the basis of understanding how he, it's going to work. Do you think Abram had any idea how the whole thing was going to unfold? Like how, and eventually would come to, you know, kings, and then you'd be taken in exile, but then you'd be sent back, and then Messiah will come, and all these imp- emperors are going to come, and, and then you know, all this will happen, and then for 2,000 years, the church will carry on, and then at some point in the future, I'm going to renew the world. Isn't that great? Abram had no idea. But he was in relationship with God. The closest thing we have to this is the covenant of marriage. When I stood at the altar with my wife, 
And she said, I'm all in. It's me and you, totally faithful. This is where we're going. And I made that promise to her. Someone could have, some cynic in the audience could have gone, but how do you know? And my answer would have been, well, I know her character. That's how you know. That's how you know. And that's how God invites you to know. Because God doesn't care for you to know him on the basis of your capacity to understand his promises. That is not knowledge. That is you checking God's math. I only check up on people I don't trust, not the people I do. Right? If you're trying to micromanage God, that is not a sign that you are in relationship with him. That is a sign that you don't trust him. And he says, come know me. And, and, and so God, again, promise pain. God amps up the promise. He says, oh, do you, do you want to know how you can trust me? Because I'm going to covenant with you. And so this is what he says. He says, okay, get all these animals together and cut them in half. Now that is really weird sounding to me and you. And Abram does. And then he stands there, presumably for hours, and nothing happens. And he's like, this is what I'm talking about, God. I did what you said three and a half hours ago, and now the vultures, go away, you know? And it says he had to, like, keep all the, the you know, the carrion birds away. And finally, he just fell asleep. He was exhausted. And then it said a dreadful darkness came upon him. Sometimes God will allow the pain of your soul and all of the ways you mistrust him to come gurgling up to the top so that he will deal with it. And so Abram has a vision. And in this vision, he sees this torch in the smoking fire pot passing between the flayed open bits of the animals. And he's like, then, then he... Then he in, in the vision, God announces to him, I'm going to give you this land, and he names the ten tribes that were currently occupying the land. And that's it. So you're like, well, what do, we, what do we do with that? It's one of the most important parts of the Bible, and here's why, because this is how covenants were cut. A covenant in the ancient Near East worked like this. If me and Pastor Morgan were going to enter into an agreement, okay, uh, I'm going to give you this much land for this, and, and, and he would say, okay, right, and I'm going to give you this much, and then we would take an animal and we would cut it in half, and then we would walk between the pieces. And what we're saying there is, if I violate this agreement, may what was done to this animal be done to me. And then he would walk through and say, agreed. Now, if I violate the agreement, may what was done to this animal be done to me. But here's the thing. In this cutting of the covenant, a far greater amount of sacrifice was laid out and only one being walked between them. And it wasn't Abraham. God says, you want to know why you can trust me? You want to know how you can know? You want to know how even in your pain, my promise still holds true? And even in my, the promises, you can trust me through your pain because I am the one who will make sure this covenant happens. I am not going to hold you accountable fully and finally for the breaking of the covenant. I am passing between these things. And I want you to know I'm the one who's going to finally experience pain to stay wedded to you. God says, you do you want to know how you can trust me? Let's get married. And he covenants, he weds himself to, to his people. He says, I'm going to do what I said. Despite your circumstances, despite your pain, despite what the news says, despite your body, despite your childlessness, despite your weird family, despite your current financial situation, I'm going to do what I said and not on the basis of your capacity to keep up your end of the deal because we understand that is not very good basis. I'm going to expose myself to the cutting of this covenant. 
which of course is a total type and picture of the one who would finally come, Jesus, our truer and better, Abraham, who is the bearer of a better promise, the final revelation of this covenant, not a covenant based on works that if you do what I say, then I will bless you. That is nowhere in the Bible. It's grace from page one to Revelation 22, where God says, I am going to make the world and you're going to be a part of it. And then we ruin it. He says, okay, I'm going to set you up and I'm going to rescue you and you're going to be a part of it. And then we ruin it. And then he finally comes himself and he is the one who is, has his body pulled apart so that you and I might have heaven and earth brought back together. Jesus is the one who was cut for the covenant. He's better than these sacrifices. He's the promised one who not only guarantees and accomplishes all the covenantal promises of God, but willingly walked through the pain, his body literally torn apart to bring us to the wedding ceremony. That's how committed God is to you. God has given us a huge set of promises in the gospel, and the way you gain access to them goes back to chapter 15, verse 6. Abram believed God and was counted him as righteousness. We're so told, oh, you just got to claim your promise. Just got to stand on it. Just got to go and receive it. You got to start acting in faith to do, no, 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 no. Okay, and some of that might be kind of true, but here's the foundation. Trust him, not your capacity to understand him, him. I say that as a guy who's collecting more degrees than Fahrenheit and spending an embarrassing amount of money getting them. Because I love studying the scriptures, but I don't think for a minute that because I'm going to have some degrees on my wall more when I'm done, I know him better than you. That's not true. Halls of divinity schools are very often the most godless places I've ever been. No, I trust him. You're invited to trust him because there's a promise for you, even in your pain. Some of you right now, you're walking through extensive pain. Diseases that haven't been healed, children that are still wayward, financial situations that are still in the ditch, all kinds of pain. And I'm here to tell you there is a promise, a covenant promise from God for you that is written in the blood of his son. And if you trust him, he will carry you through to such a land of overflowing that we'll use gold as asphalt. If you trust him, if you trust him, Christian, because God has walked through the worst pain in order to fulfill his promises, we can know two things. One, our pain can be counted as light and momentary by comparison. There's some things I'm walking through right now that I, it, would be, it would be inappropriate for me to share with you. They're very painful. And I read the words of Peter. This light momentary affliction is producing for us a weight of glory. Promise. But I'm like, but God, this really hurts. Pain. And I read back on it. Promise. This light momentary affliction is a weight of glory beyond all compare. Okay, it's not to be compared with my current pain. All right, I trust you. See how that works? There's a promise in the pain. And there might be some pain as you walk in these promises. Second thing you know is our pain will at some point give way to the powerful fulfillment of God's promises. It will not always be this way. There will be a moment, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised and incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And as heaven and earth are fully and finally reunited in a lasting embrace, God literally removes hell from this place because he's moved all the way in. Therefore, we can have hope. Now, for those of you who aren't yet followers of Jesus, I simply ask you to consider this. God 
the Son has done what he did, and your pain can be redeemed. The covenant story, the way God began in the book of Genesis chapter 15 to to carry forward his plan to redeem the world with this guy named Abram who totally didn't qualify, fills us with great hope. The message of this story isn't be like Abram and trust God because as you keep going through the book of Genesis, Abram was a gigantic failure. But we have a better promise bearer that Abram pointed to and that I today am trying to point back to. And his name is Jesus, who fully obeyed his father. So your pain can be redeemed. Who better to trust than that? That's why trusting God is so exciting and so good. Because all of the other wannabe deities, they're not very good news. All of the other gods who say that they are, are ruling the world, all of the other possible religious choices on the buffet of human belief, not good news. There's only one God whom if he is Lord is truly good news and it is the God who bled for you. The God who understands what it's like to walk through pain and has overcome it and invites you by trusting in his promises to walk through the pain and overcome it too. Austin needs to see a church like that. Can you imagine what, it, what, your, what your city would be like, like if you really believed this stuff? Like, and, and you really walk this way? You would be profoundly good news to your neighborhoods. You would be profoundly good news to your school and your universities and your city and your office block. You would embody the good news that the gospel is promise, even in the pain. Austin needs to see a church like that, and I, I believe very much prophetically and as a fellow member of your larger spiritual family, that you will live this way. God has put a call on your house, I think, to demonstrate the truthfulness of the gospel, not only in word. You have a very, very gifted communicator who's married to another very, very gifted communicator. It's like great preacher inception. It's amazing. But as you live this way as a spiritual family, you will bear the good news and your life will be a living parable that points to the truthfulness of Jesus and the fact that there is a promise in the pain. God bless you.